Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of Banal of America Audio, Season 2. It is May 12, 2007, and this week we have the concluding installment of our interview that we started last week with internet conspiracy pundit Kent Daniel Bentkowski. We're going to finish up our conversation and talk about esoterica in the movies, esoterica on TV shows, what the messages are in some of these popular films and TV shows, and how they get put in there. We're also going to hear Kent's amazing UFO story, plus, of course, tons and tons more. It's a pretty packed, hour-long discussion here on esoterica and popular culture. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Kent Daniel Benkowski, let me give you a little bit of background on him. Kent Daniel Benkowski is a research journalist from Buffalo, New York. He's been a published author since 1985, when he sold his first article for $20. Since then, he has been writing and working as a journalist and researcher nearly full-time. He also has the ability to see the bigger picture, and as such, he has felt obligated to add his voice to those calling out from within the darkness that surrounds this planet. His website is controversypapers.blogspot.com, K-E-N-T-R-O-V-E-R-S-Y-P-A-P-E-R-S dot blogspot dot com. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on March 16th, 2007. Kent Daniel Bentkowski, Part 2 of 2, on Banal of America Audio, Season 2. That actually segues really well into the next uh, sort of section I want to talk about, moving on from the controversy special reports. Like I said, there's tons in there. I just picked a couple. Next time we have you on the program, we'll talk about some of the other ones. Um, but another section of your of controversypapers.net that I want to talk about was your recommended DVD list. Because uh, you do a really good job of looking at some of these films that I had never really thought of um, that may be being used in a conditioning sort of way. Um, so first of all, before we get into some of these specific titles that I, that I picked out of the list here that you have for recommended viewing, um, talk a little bit about what you think is going on as far as a conditioning process for the mass public and who's behind this conditioning process and, 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 and what's it all about. The, the American mass media is a very big tool uh, psychologically for the elite, and they do not miss any opportunities to implant or embed uh, the minds of the viewers. Um, for instance, um, I had been asked uh, by many, many people um, if I, uh, for instance, if they wanted to look into truth-telling, uh, what would be my recommendations for books or DVDs that they could buy or watch? Mm -hmm. And so that's how that got started. And um, in terms of how this plays out in the media is um, these concepts are embedded into the structure of the story in such a way that a person, an adult, could watch a Disney uh, video, which is supposed to be for children. And personally, I find many of the Disney um, cartoon videos to be uh, very harmful to children and should be viewed by adults only. And I do mention this on this uh, DVD yeah. uh, shelf page. And um, so in terms of, for instance, uh, there's one of the DVDs on this uh, site is A Bug's Life, which is a Disney Pixar uh, production. There's one point in this uh, movie where the main character, who's played by Kevin Spacey, a character called Hopper, uh, who is a grasshopper, he says, um, you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anyone want to stay? Let's ride. And that's a perfect example of just one little 
a couple of sentences that maybe uh, looked at or listened to out of context by the viewer and they completely missed the embedding. In fact, this was verified by my wife. I had her sit down and watch this Bugs Life video from beginning to end. And I went back after we had watched the whole thing through, and I went right to that quote that I had just uh, spoken. Mm-hmm. And she uh, had said to me, what are you showing me? Is this an outtake or something? And I said, no, this is in the movie. And she said, no, it isn't. I just watched this. This is not in the movie. And I said, wait a minute here. Um, let's go back. And I showed her the whole thing, uh, the DVD chapter, and verified that was inside the movie. And she was like, wow, I never even picked that up. And here's an adult woman and not a young child who would be many, many more times affected uh, by this than uh, she had been. Another movie you talk about in that same realm of the Disney Pixar thing is this is Monsters, Inc. Um, talk a little bit about what you think is the underlying message there that, that they're trying to, to reach to kids. Yeah, the Monsters Incorporated uh, story was interesting Um, because it actually talks about a couple of ideas that both uh, David Icke and this um, Italian physicist by the name of Giuliana Conforto had put forward about the fact that uh, there may be these uh, interstitial uh, type of um, dimensions that are in between uh, the the regular, you know, first, second, third, fourth, and so on mm-hmm. dimensions, and that these uh, extraterrestrial negative uh, forces exist inside these interzones, if you will. And this is the theme of the movie. Um, this movie is about these monsters that are traveling between the monster dimension and the human being dimension through children's closet doors. And they scare the little children, and they use their fear to power the monster world, which is a a perfect allegory for what uh, Conforto was saying and, and what David Icke was saying in their writings. And so I went out and I bought this uh, DVD, and this was, you know, way before my uh, son was born, uh, because this came out in 2002, and I had no reason to be going buying Disney videos, (laughs) you know, but I wanted to see the rest of this, how this would be packaged and presented and what the content of the, the entire movie was, and, um, So this whole thing uh, is designed to implant uh, fear into children and also to um, embed within their minds uh, certain messages that the elite uh, want them to believe. And they will use, um, for example, um, like uh, the Wizard of Oz, and uh, other types of what look like very uh, innocent or innocuous uh, children's uh, stories. Before I asked about a couple other movies, how do you think that that sort of process works? Because it's quite a process to get a film uh, made in general. Do you think um, the the seed is planted at the beginning with with the writers, or is it something that they're sort of like like, uh, I can see... Uh, how it's possible that this is going on, but I, at the same time, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I'm not skeptical really, but sort of just trying to wrap my mind around the idea of how how uh, the elite could actually embed these messages. So is there like a process sort of of how, how these things get hidden into the things? Yes. As a matter of fact, a, a very good resource to, to look more into this is um, 
looking into the whole subject of uh, subliminal manipulation. And these are uh, uh, psychological processes that were uh, developed and undertaken by um, high-level uh, military type of uh, psychologists uh, who developed these um, processes that, um, you know, are implanted into these movies, TV shows, and so forth. And how they do this is they study very carefully the minds uh, of individuals, and they've been studying this for over a 100 years now, and they've developed uh, these systems to the point where how movies get made is it could be as simple as uh, someone coming up to a producer and saying, um, so-and-so from, you know, this particular movie studio will green light your picture if you promise to embed this into the plot. And in terms of Disney, um, being uh, that Walt Disney himself was working with the FBI and with um, Hoover, the director of the FBI at the time, um, he was chosen to be one of these people. Um, and currently, uh, two names that I can give you who are part of this process are Steven Spielberg and James Cameron, who had done the Titanic and the Terminator uh, three and two movies, among that, others. Yeah, that might explain his latest work with the Jesus script. Yes, and that appears to be a direct result of the popularity of the Da Vinci Code and just Dan Brown in general. And another one of the films that you talk about in the DVD list that uh, that I found pretty enlightening was this uh, The Breakfast Club, which is a well-known 80s film. Um, talk about some of the subliminal messages that are, that are to be had in The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club is actually one of my all-time favorite movies. And um, it was actually one of the movies that, uh, one of the only movies, rather, that I have found that portrayed high school in a realistic manner. Um, in fact, the only other example of this that I could give, which did so well portray high school, was this television show, Freaks and Geeks, yeah. which was only on for one season. Uh, but it was so perfect. I mean, that was my high school, because um, those are the years I went to high school, from 78 to 81. And um, now the Breakfast Club, uh, what they are talking about here is the five um, stereotypes that you find in high schools, um, which are the uh, the criminal, the basket case, the jock, the uh, although they don't say it, the Jewish princess. Uh, they just refer to it as the princess, and the the geek, uh, the, the nerd, the smart kid. And um, so we find that that's represented, and I believe they did it that way to have a, a, as big of a relation to the whole um, audience as possible. And in terms of, of that, the other interesting thing that happens in this movie is that in the course of this Saturday uh, spent in detention, which is the setup for the movie, um, they smoke a joint at one point during the day, and a very interesting conversation comes out of this, where each of these five people who would have nothing to do with one another during the actual school week they would pass by one another in the hallways and they would not acknowledge that they, you know, the, that the, the star of the wrestling team would be interested in the, the nerd, for instance. And so they related to one another 
personally as human beings. And this was also showing that there was some enlightenment that was happening through the smoking of marijuana. And this was in the heyday of the Just Say No campaign of Nancy Reagan. So this had come out at a very crucial time when um, marijuana was looked at as being uh, very detrimental and that propaganda continues today. And um, I just thought it was an interesting thing um, to show and also to point out to people that if they would go back and take a look at this uh, film again in a different context, that they would get something very different out of it as opposed to when they had seen it the first time, not having made these connections. Yeah. Another uh, entertainment series that you talk a lot about here is the Harry Potter uh, book and movie series, which uh, I've always been kind of suspicious of myself, So, and you've done a lot of great research into it. So talk a little bit about the Harry Potter uh, series and what you think might really be going on there. The Harry Potter uh, thing seems to be um, related to getting the population on the side of the Luciferian occult mindset. Um, for instance, um, the woman who writes these uh, Harry Potter stories, this uh, Joanne Rowling, is uh, she's a witch. She's a practicing Wicca, uh, Wiccan uh, individual. And a lot of the information that comes out in these uh, series of books and the films from the books have these very realistic occult um, content that's being portrayed here. And what's interesting about this is that once I started looking at some of the ways that the stories were being handled and what was being shown on screen in the movies and what the characters were saying to one another, uh, the backgrounds of the characters and so forth. Yeah. She seems to know an awful lot about the occult uh, for somebody to have just been guessing or maybe had done a little light research, uh, background research before she wrote the first film. And, um, there are, what I did is I went through the um, books um, whom my uh, wife had uh, been very obsessed with, actually. Yeah. And that in itself was disturbing to me because um, I when, when I did start doing the research, I found out that some of these kids were reading these books like ten times over again. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? This is not normal. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid, one of my very favorite books was the Lord of the Rings uh, series and The Hobbit. But I didn't read those things 20 times back to back. Yeah. You know, I've read them over a period of many years throughout my entire life. And here we had another uh, situation where you know, these young children were just hypnotized or possessed or something was going on. And I needed to look at this uh, closely uh, just to see what was underlying this interest on the part of the readers so much. And um, I actually came up with uh, a series of observations which was just designed to ask some questions of, you know, this is what I think is going on here. What do you think about this? Yeah. And I picked out 22 different examples of how uh, there are many questions here in terms of the Harry Potter story and uh, its connection to the occult. Um, for example, um, just in the past 10 years or 12 years or so, there have been a number of television shows which relate to the occult, 
and also witchcraft. Um, these shows are Angel, Charmed, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, and Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting about this is, is that uh, a child of 10 years old, for instance, as some of these kids are who read these Harry Potter books, uh, it's been found psychologically that it's very easy to blur the distinction between fiction and reality for a child of that age. So that is a perfect opportunity for them to embed Harry Potter with some very interesting things. Um, there's an online internet book club that's referred to as the Magic Circle Young Magicians Club. And what's interesting about that is, is that magicians do their magic inside of a circle. And so here's another realistic uh, representation of the Harry Potter uh, reality versus the occult reality. Um, the American Booksellers Association had put out some very interesting statistics where they pointed out that Harry Potter has been responsible for 11% of all the books sold in the entire world in wow. the year 2001. And at that point, there was only, uh, I believe, three or four books out at that time. And since then, many, many more million copies have been sold. Um, at this point in time, this author, Joanne Rowling, is a billionaire. And uh, my research into the uh, high levels of the occult and the Illuminati specifically, um, you are not allowed such a wild success unless you are a part of that occult system. There are also character names that relate to real-life occult magicians. There are also uh, things that are uh, related to in terms of herbs and uh, magic spells that are cast, which are actually represented in accurate light. If you go to the original source material where it will tell you uh, what this particular herb is used for, this is the way it's represented in the Harry Potter uh, series as well. There was a book that was put out which was called The Science of Harry Potter, How Magic Really Works. And in that book, it's, it describes the author as being a witch who is able to cast enchanting literary spells which I, I find to be very interesting um, in itself. And uh, in addition to that, there are about 10 or 15 other things that are mentioned uh, throughout the books and the movies that, um, uh, for instance, Harry Potter receives the mark on his forehead, which is a uh, lightning bolt. Um, this is interesting because this is the very same mark that is referred to in the book of Revelation. Um, we also find an owl, which is used by Harry Potter as a familiar in casting his uh, spells. And owls are often used as familiars in the practice by both witches and black magicians. Um, another thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that she refers to ordinary people as muggles, M-U-G-G-L-E-S. And I was quite surprised to find that this word muggles uh, is an old-time slang representation for a marijuana cigarette. And this is actually in, in the uh, movie Reefer Madness. Um, also,
also the original title of the very first Harry Potter book was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, the Philosopher's Stone is a very uh, sought-after item in both the occult and, and the magical world, and it is um, supposed to be used for alchemy, and it also represents uh, a very high level of understanding on the part of the author again. Um, one, uh, one last thing that I want to mention about this, which I found to be very, very interesting, in that it does relate on somewhat of a basis to the structuring of secret societies. The school that Harry Potter goes to is called Hogwarts, and there is a third floor of this building that is forbidden uh, to everyone except for those who are selected to have this special knowledge and access. And what's coincidental and interesting about this is that this is the same type of uh, structuring and hierarchy that we find in secret societies, that you only reach the highest level if you're accepted by the entire group. And so we had a representation of this inner sanctum, so to speak, um, which was shown in the context of a child's boarding school, but also mirrored the, the uh, secret society model perfectly yeah. in its representation. And, and the last movie uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, like I said, there's tons on there, but I just picked the ones that I was pretty familiar with and, and uh, figured the audience would be too, and, and that weren't esoteric films in and of themselves. Obviously, you recommend a lot of good Alex Jones movies and uh, other great esoteric films on there, but I want to talk about the mainstream ones. Um, and this, uh, this one you give a really high recommendation to, and that was They Live. Yeah, They Live is... Actually, I describe They Live as a nonfiction documentary. And uh, why I say that is because it's very interesting to me that it shows in a very realistic way what's happening in this world. That there are hidden meanings behind the politicians, there are secret messages that are embedded into the mass media, which we do see throughout the uh, film as it progresses. Um, we find the, the character of John Nada, who's played by Roddy Piper, as uh, walking by a magazine uh, vendor and uh, a newsstand, and he sees with these uh, special Hoffman lenses, um, these special glasses, he sees the real images and the hidden messages that are uh, underlying what everyone else sees. And this film also is interesting in the context that it says something very important about our leaders, that there is a hidden behind the scenes or under the surface uh, type of um, power that's pushing these people and manipulating them as well to perform in a particular way, which is good for the overall agenda of this one world government and everything we had talked about related to the microchip agenda mm -hmm. and, and so forth and the globalist agenda as a whole. Um, I have begun to uh, do a report about They Live. Um, a couple of years ago, I was able to contact uh, John Carpenter through his agent's office uh, at William Morris Agency in Beverly Hills and was actually successful in getting in touch with him and he had many interesting things to say about that film. Um, for instance, it's the favorite movie of his out of all the movies he's done in his 40 years of being a Hollywood director. Oh, wow. And 
And uh, when I asked him about why that was the case, um, he had mentioned that he liked to, to be a truth teller and that there were many things about society that had become very negative, and he f also felt compelled to comment on them. Um, so my original report about Hollywood films was this thing I had done on the, uh, the film uh, Eyes Wide Shut by uh, Stanley Kubrick, and that had become so popular and had been, like, proliferated through the Internet like yeah. nobody's business, um, I decided to expand that into an entire series. And the next uh, film is going to be They Live. That's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about these films is because uh, th there's a resonance, I think, with the listening audience that, you know, they've seen these movies and maybe they haven't seen the, uh, the underlying messages behind them before. And on controversypapers.net, you allude to a recommended television list that may be coming soon. Uh, can you just hit on what maybe some TV shows that people might be interested in that they haven't thought of as potentially revelatory? That section, I, as you just mentioned, it's coming soon, and I actually haven't had the time to sit down and do the thing. But I will comment on it because it is uh, very important uh, to what we're talking about today. Okay. Um, uh, in terms of important television shows, uh, what I, which I refer to as conspiracy TV, is um, the following shows. Um, there was the X-Files uh, spinoff called The Lone Gunman. In their very first episode, they had, which was broadcast on March 4, 2001, they showed the attack on the World Trade Center with an airliner, and in the course of this episode, it is stated by the characters in the episode that the reason for this attack on the World Trade Center was to provide justification for a phony, fabricated war on terrorism. So this had been broadcast six months before 9-11. Um, in addition to that, in December of 2005, um, one of the actors from that show had appeared on the Alex Jones show, and he had mentioned that he was aware of the fact that there were CIA operatives who were going to Hollywood producers' parties and were suggesting plots and plot lines to these producers, and he mentioned, uh, for instance, that Chris Carter had been approached just before the X-Files went on the air that he was going to become very, very rich and very wealthy through this uh, X-Files show. Um, another TV show that I think is extremely important uh, right now is uh, the show 24, and that at this current time is showing a nuclear attack on U.S. soil by foreign terrorists, um, which actually are being represented as coming from one particular terrorist, when in fact they're coming from someone entirely different, and this again relates to the false flag aspect, so we're seeing that as well. Um, another show that's currently on TV that is just as important as uh, 24 is this uh, CBS series called Jericho, and I've done some writing on this uh, show as well, and I've also written a little bit about 24. Now, Jericho shows and also a terrorist nuclear attack on America, and it also shows the aftermath of what happens after this type of thing, how the society breaks down, and in fact, in the very last episode, 
of this uh, Jericho show, which was broadcast last uh, Wednesday, two days ago, was um, saying that these nuclear attacks were coming from Iran and North Korea, which I thought was very interesting because those are two of the countries that were written about in the PNAC Rebuilding America's Defenses report. And we're obviously looking uh, to go after Iran at this point in time, militarily speaking. So these shows are incredibly important because they are showing the future of, of what looks like is going to be taking place here to provide justification to expand this war in the Middle East, which uh, may end up being uh, World War III by the time these people are finished. Some other shows which are very important are The, uh, the X-Files itself, which not as an entire series, but in certain of the episodes they showed some very important things. And um, that's just the type of thing that I will be talking about there, and there are a few others awesome. as well. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Okay, now I wanted to just hit on uh, some 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 minor uh, little questions that are really not minor actually, but but there there's some uh, sub points that sort of came to me while I was checking out your website. They aren't out on anything specific, any of your uh, specific papers, more overarching uh, questions. Okay. Um, the first one is uh, you relate a story uh, regarding Timothy McVeigh because uh, he originally was from Buffalo and you're from Buffalo and. And apparently you had some contact with his family, and they, they shared a strange story with you about uh, plastic surgery and a fake uh, execution and all that crazy stuff. So can you share this Timothy McVeigh story with uh, the listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, and Timothy McVeigh is a CIA operative, and this uh, false flag attack on Oklahoma City, which was carried out, uh, was... Uh, supposedly led to his execution. Um, however, no member of his family showed up for that execution. And I found that very weird um, because when you hear about these people on death row, you know, they have many family members that show up uh, just to say goodbye and uh, to, you know, maybe hug him and kiss him yeah. for the last time and that sort of thing. Um, in addition to that, there was a book that was written by a couple of the Buffalo News reporters, uh, which provided the establishment version of the Oklahoma City situation and just Timothy McVeigh in general. So through a friend of a friend of a friend uh, type of a thing, I was able to contact a member of McVeigh's family, and I am not at liberty to say who that family member was. Okay. But what I will say about it is that it was absolutely verified to me, and this, the reason why I wrote about it was that he was, in fact, not executed. He is, in fact, still alive. And as happens with these CIA operatives, they are given plastic surgery to change their appearance. Their history and their backstory is fabricated, as is a new identity, and he is currently working in the South America uh, continent. All right, yeah, I found that to be a pretty fascinating story. I figured uh, the listeners would, too. And another issue I want to ask you about is, um, and we talk about it a lot on this program, but it's not really talked about at all, to the best of my knowledge, on the controversypapers.net, and that is the UFO issue. Um, I don't want to harp on it too much because that's not what we're here to talk about this week, but I wanted to ask you where you stand on the UFO issue with regards to this overarching big picture of the globalist agenda. Based on comments that uh, people like Ronald Reagan had made and other people uh, in the past, 
it appears that the UFO issue is being used as a way to unite the entire globe in terms of um, coming together in defense of our planet against an outside invading force that may come in. And this is talked about in the context of a hoax UFO invasion that you've heard many things about over the past 10 or 15 years. And it seems to be uh, picking up a little uh, steam as it goes along uh, in terms of a story. And I mean a news story as opposed to a, uh, a fiction uh, story. Um, personally, I have had a UFO experience, um, which was in uh, March of 2000 in Sedona, Arizona. Myself, my wife, and several of our friends took a vacation out uh, to Sedona. We went to the Grand Canyon and so forth. And I knew the reputation of Sedona, and I was speaking all the way out there. We took a train. I was speaking all the way on the train. What I most want to see is a UFO while I'm out there. And so one night while we were there, we were driving back from this uh, particular um, uh, meeting that we had with these uh, Native American people who had shown us uh, some of their um, religious uh, places where they go to conduct their ceremonies. And it was getting dark, and we pulled over into this uh, rest stop area just to take a break from all the driving that we had done on that particular day. And the people, there was five people in the vehicle. And I was sitting in the middle of the back seat. My wife was driving, and our three of the people that we went with were sitting in the other seats. And Lori, the woman that was sitting to my left in the back seat, had said, blurted out at one moment, she said, Now, Kent, here is when you are going to get what you came for. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And just as she got done finished saying that, a UFO comes out of nowhere, lands in front of us, does this uh, series of aerial maneuvers, and then it, like, warps out of uh, sight. This was extremely captivating very interesting, and I had questioned my friend Lori uh, late into that night, you know, why did you make that comment? Uh, why were you compelled to, to do it at that moment, and so forth? And um, so I've also done a lot of research about that issue as well, the UFO issue, because it is incredibly interesting intellectually, just the, you know, the puzzle aspect of trying to figure out what is going on and to try to tie together some of the testimony of some of the, you know, bigger cases like the um, Travis Walton case and others that um, um, it's been something I've looked in. Now, whether this is outside visitation or whether this is the military, I still have not made my mind up on that, which it is, um, one of those two things. But um, other than that, it's um, very interesting to me to look at. That's good. That's good to hear because a lot of people in the conspiracy realm won't touch UFOs and, and uh, vice versa. So. Uh, and I think it's a mistake to ignore one. You have to, all, you have to understand all of this to really try and get a grasp on the big picture, I think. Yeah, I agree with you on that because, you know, there, in a lot of different ways, there are many um, interlocks uh, between 
these things and how they fit into the bigger picture. Um, for instance, uh, obviously a UFO invasion from outside our galaxy or solar system or whatever, that would be incredibly helpful to those who want to have a single world government because it would unite the, the people of the world against this outside invading force. Mm -hmm. And so it's convenient in that way um, as well. Yeah. One of the big uh, aspects of this occult conspiracy thing uh, for, for lack of a better term, um, that I've always found interesting is the concept of revelation of method. And um, I'm sort of tying this in with the 2012 end date. Um, wh where do you think this is headed? Are we going to go through a period of revelation of method? Are we living through a period of revelation of method? And do you think 2012 is um, maybe, you know, when, when the proverbial shit hits the fan? 2012 appears um, to be the end of a cycle um, on which the, the Mayan calendar um, reveals to us. And in terms of that date, this is an issue that's related to spiritual ascension, okay? Um, in terms of apocalypse and, and all of that type of thinking related to this, um, listen, we, we had just gotten done with uh, Y2K, okay? And now we're uh, under the gun, so to speak, with 2012. <laughs> and what's interesting about this is that the time that we're under right now is referred to as the Mayan Age of Revealing. And this is what the Mayan prophecies talk about is that during this time and during this end of this cycle, the masks of the global controllers will be coming down and they will be revealing true motivations, um, the power behind the power, so to speak. So in terms of that, that's where I see 2012 fitting in. Um, but that does not mean that there aren't going to be the end-of-the-world people, um, you know, coming out of the woodwork once again mm -hmm. to say this is the end of everything. And just one other thing, too, is that the, the original meaning of the word apocalypse is not related to the end of all life, but is actually related to the revealing of an inner uh, truth. And this is uh, initially a Greek definition and a Greek word that had become the word apocalypse. So when you hear about that being referred to in the Bible, uh, for instance, you refer to, this is actually referring to this uh, revealing of these inner truths and not necessarily, you know, the end of everything and, you know. Yeah, cataclysmic type of that. Yeah, yeah. But that does not mean that we're going to, we will not uh, face some uh, tribulations in the years ahead um, because, for example, Hillary Clinton uh, being president is a perfect opportunity to manipulate 52% of the American population, which are women right now. And that'll be looked at as a big uh, win for women. When, it, when actually it appears that Hillary Clinton um, could be a Trojan horse for some of the um, furtherings of this uh, one world uh, agenda. And then the sort of uh, the big picture question, I guess, um, as, as we head to the end here, is um, like people like you and I who are trying to understand this and get the word out, I mean, we're, we're vastly outnumbered by the mindless people uh, who, who don't know what's going on. 
And as this power group gains more power and consolidates their power and keeps pushing forward their agenda, for starters, are we screwed? Are, are we as a human race, the, the free people who, uh, you know, you and I and, and the people who want to try and stop this, are, are, we, are, we, uh, are we jumping into this too late? Is there any chance that we can reverse the course? And uh, what do you suggest people do? Okay. Um, actually, you know, I'm a believer in things happening for a reason. And, um, you know, I am not going to sit here and uh, worry about this type of thing because as an individual, I'm doing all I can do right now mm -hmm. about it. So as long as I can honestly and safely say that I did my part to at least attempt to educate people, um, it's, uh, you know, something that I am not going to uh, regret later on if we end up being screwed or yeah. we end up losing uh, the battle, so to speak. Um, but... On the other hand, um, there are some incredibly promising things that have been happening. Um, there has been an awakening of some of these uh, previously uh, asleep people. And uh, as uh, Michael Tassarian pointed out in the interview I did with him, uh, he said, you know, you can't worry about the sleepers because... They are in their particular spiritual place for a reason, just as you are in yours for a particular reason. Mm -hmm. um, before I put the controversy papers together, I went toward, uh, through a, a process and through a period of time when I was attempting to like educate everybody under the sun that I knew, and that was just the complete. Um, asinine thing for me to be doing because I was setting myself up for complete failure. Even though I was successful in educating certain individuals, I was still unable to do everybody. So yeah. therefore, I was looking at this as a big loss instead of a series of small victories, you know. And in terms of how this is going to end up, um, that's a, a good question, and I can see some things, but I can't see everything, and the things that I do write about are things that I'm very sure of, uh, either through research or through that gut feeling, that intuition, that instinct, you know, and... So in the bigger picture um, uh, context, um, we may go through a very bad time uh, before things begin to look promising. And um, that may be uh, what our uh, close future holds for us. What about the future for you? Uh, what do you have on your plate? What are you looking forward to uh, putting out here in the future? Well, as I said um, a little while ago, I'm working on a, a complete uh, series of Hollywood films where I'm going to talk about the uh, either the symbolism or how the audience is being manipulated. And some of those, uh, as I mentioned, were... My next report is going to be on They Live. Uh, some other things uh, you know, on that list are uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, um, all the movies and the Night of the Living Dead and the Dawn of the Dead, uh, Day of the Dead, a uh, series of films by George Romero, The Exorcist, and how that was uh, manipulating the subconscious of the viewers and also the economic uh, underpinning of the film's Clerks and Clerks 2. Oh, wow. I want to uh, take a look at that as well. I'm also working on an outline of a report 
which is going to tie in the characters of the television show Lost with the major arcana of the tarot. Oh, wow. I'm a big Lost fan. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm a Johnny-come-lately uh, to Lost. I got hooked about a month ago. I've been watching the season one and two DVDs, um, which I had just recently got and finished. <laughs> and it's just a very interesting story. And I want to know what the hell is going on. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all do. Well, that's that's great. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing seeing your piece on that. So so uh, yeah, more you're going to be tackling more uh, more of this uh, cultural cultural uh, material and and where these messages may be inside of them. Yeah, and the other thing too is I'm going to be moving a little more into the direction of the spirituality and a little bit. Uh, away from some of the heavy politics uh, aspects of what I've been writing about. And that's just because of uh, interest levels on the part of readers, you know, what what they want to read as opposed to what I want them to to read. Well, I look forward to all this great stuff, and I'm going to be keeping an eye on controversypapers.net, and I suggest that all of America audio listeners do too. I think you have a really... uh, very discerning eye on what's really going on, and I appreciate that. And uh, this episode sort of took me back to my roots uh, of, of conspiracy research because I've, I've drifted away from that over the last few years. But definitely uh, remembering a lot about what I enjoyed so much about studying conspiracy theory and, and, and what's really going on here because there there is a big picture situation going on, especially with this global agenda. So thank you so much for, uh, for appearing on the show. The website, of course, is controversypapers.net. Kent Daniel Penkowski, thanks for coming on with All of America Audio. Thank you very much, Tim. I've had a great time today, and uh, thank you to your listeners. I greatly appreciate uh, participating in your uh, show. There you have it, folks. That was part two of two with Kent Daniel Penkowski. Big, big thanks to KDB for coming on the show. Of course, you can find out more information on Kent Daniel Penkowski at his website, controversypapers.blogspot.com. K-E-N-T-R-O-V-E-R-S-Y-P-A-P-E-R-S dot blogspot dot com. Check it out. We're going to skip over listener mail this week and the plea for donations and the preview for next week, actually. We're going to skip all that. Um, and I'll explain that in a moment. Let me give my thanks out to the fantastic com staff, Leslie Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Ralph Molesworth, and Tina Senna. I've had a very difficult week folks, as you'll uh, hear about in a second, and uh, the staff of BOA has really kept my spirits up all week and and, and been more than just writers for the website and more than just contributors to Banal of America. They've been my friends, and um, they've been my support structure this week, and I appreciate that tremendously. So uh, thank you to Leslie Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Ralph Molesworth, and Tina Senna for uh, keeping my spirits up this week during a very difficult time. Um, and as I alluded to, uh, we're, we're skipping out on a bunch of stuff here at the end of the program because there is not going to be a program next week. Um, there may not even be a program in, in two weeks, and this is really a big reason why this week's episode is coming at you pretty late in the day on Sunday and, and definitely a little a little rough around the edges. Um, at the risk of getting too deeply personal here on, on this show, I'm just going to say that my family are, are in the midst of a pretty serious health crisis right now uh, involving my father, and uh, many of the BanalofAmerica.com readers are familiar with, with my father being sick over the last couple of years, but it, it's gotten pretty serious, and uh, it's requiring all of my attention at this time. And I posted a little message at BanalofAmerica.com under uh, the title, A Message from Banal. That'll give you some more details, but suffice it to say, folks, is... Uh, my father's very sick right now, and, and I just don't have the, the time or, or the energy to really focus on the audio program. Uh, we're playing it by year right now, see how things are going to develop. And uh, I hope to be back here and talking to you shortly, but I know for sure we probably will not be coming at you next week, and there's a very good possibility we'll be coming to you in two weeks. So I guess all I can say is uh, 
please pray for my family and, and hopefully you'll be hearing from me soon. Um, until then, folks, thanks for listening. This is Tim Benall, signing off.